Welcome to the Business of Eye Innovation. I'm your host, Chris Morrill, and joining us on Med Devices podcast this month is Eric Bolbrecht, who's a medical device lawyer at Axon in the Netherlands. Eric specializes in European, national, legal, and regulatory issues related to medical devices, including e-health, m-health, software, and protection of personal data. He's an expert in life sciences regulation at the EU and Dutch level, with a focus on contracts, regulatory litigation against competent authorities, and M&A. And Eric and I met a few years ago when uh, we were looking for some advice on medical device um, law in Europe. And uh, since then, we've kept in contact. And today we're going to talk um, all things MDR. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks very much. That's a lot of things, uh, Chris, all things (laughs) MDR. Okay, so uh, where do we, so we're coming up on, let's see, we are, what, nine months into the full implementation of MDR. Um, as somebody who works as a, as a company that works uh, quite actively with companies that are making the transition now to MDR, um, it feels awfully intense and stressful. And uh, there's a lot of money being pumped in by companies to make this transition. From, from your perspective, how is it going? What are you hearing um, from other medical device companies? And what what has the past nine months been like, in your opinion? Well, <clears throat> being a lawyer, of course, people usually only approach me with bad news. So by definition, let's say my uh, perspective is a bit skewed in that sense. But the uh, yeah, the last nine months, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been pretty intense because uh, first of all, of course, we 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 had the whole intensity of uh, of the uh, uh, what a lot of people were calling the move of the uh, of the date of application of the MDR, which was uh, quite uh, quite an interesting thing um, before and, and a lot of misunderstanding about it actually. Then before that, we also had the uh, the, the exemptions being uh, uh, being included uh, uh, in the corrigendum of uh, December two thousand nineteen for the uh, for the upclassified devices. So already, basically, I think, um, yeah, I, well, if I would go back nine years instead of nine months. I don't think there has been a single period in which there was no turmoil in the in the MDR. I mean, there's there's always some form of uh, drama going on, either caused by the legislative process, or caused by the regulators, or caused by industry itself, or caused by the customers of industry. So there's there's always something going on, and I think the. Uh, the, the problem du jour that we are having at the moment is that we are, um, yeah, basically sort of halfway through the grace period. And there is basically no plan for what looks to be an enormous problem with converting the still outstanding MDD and AI MDD old certificates that are massively expiring towards the end of the grace period. So in the first half of uh, 2024 and keeping those products on the market, basically there's, there's, there's zero solution for that. 
which is, I think, one of the big things uh, at the moment in the future, I would say. And what I see in my own legal practice is that a lot of companies really find the MDR very difficult to work with because, uh, well, for all kinds of reasons, either they haven't invested enough in understanding it, or they have been a bit opportunistic in understanding it and now find that they should have done their homework better. And of course, then there's also a group that that is, uh, I would say, new on the market or late to the game that finds that notified bodies have absolutely zero time to deal with them. So notified bodies are not onboarding new customers, which is a problem if you are a new company now with a complex product, then yeah, you're basically out of luck in the EU because there's no way to get meaningful interaction going with the notified body because they're, they're, they're all full. So it's, uh, and, and then I would say also, since you've mentioned that I do a lot of M&A work, I also see companies and especially investors and also tax structuring consultants uh, like, like the big four make the stupidest mistakes in structuring of transactions that trigger significant changes that cost companies their certificates in the process actually just before the weekend, I, I found out that there was this company that had been that that had legacy device certificates. They had been um, uh, they had been subject to a merger, and then the brilliant minds of the uh, of the acquisition law firm that helped them had decided it was a good idea to wind down the legal entity whose name was on the certificate for all of their products. So yeah, I mean these these are the things I'm now running into. Yeah. Also, also all kinds of other stuff, uh, sometimes pretty vehement misunderstandings between companies and uh, competent authorities about how to uh, interpret particular concepts in the MDR, which, yeah, I think are really quite open still to interpretation sometimes. And uh, yeah, there's absolutely no guidance. So what are you going to do? The, 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 the competent authorities going one way and then you have to decide, okay, am I going to fight them on this or am I going to yeah, redo my technical documentation on a crucial point, things like that. So yeah, lots going on. Sorry for the long introduction. I was going to say, that's a, that's a lot to unpack. Um, and, I, and I'm trying to pick where, where we sort of dive in. And one of the things that you said, and I think when we talked a few weeks ago, and, and I heard quite a bit, and every other regulatory consultant that, that we work with heard the same thing from their clients, where they said they weren't worried, established existing companies were not worried about making the transition to MDR because they had a good relationship with their notified body, their notified body liked them, their notified body trusted them, and... MDR hit and the world changed and their notified bodies position changed as well because they were then obligated slash I think terrified to to fully enforce MDR and I think there was a there was a, a massive lack or, or misinterpretation of that shift that was coming mm-hmm by a lot of companies, very few companies that we work with anticipated it. 
Yeah, I think that a lot of companies misunderstood the uh, shift in notified body behavior that was brought about by the NDR. And yeah, I mean, of course, uh, retrospectively, it all makes sense, uh, um, you could say. But what is really clear is that notified bodies pre-NDR are not the same notified bodies as they are post-NDR, even if they kept the same name. Um, because, and that is something a lot of companies have misunderstood because the MDR basically upped the game so much and also put a lot of additional controls in place in the background that makes notified bodies look like they have become, um, yeah, that they're basically, as you say, scared, scared to implement the MDR. But basically, yeah, there's 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 been a shift in um, in in how strict notified bodies have to be, and I think one of the points where I see this a lot is um, is in uh, companies that have products which they will say are well established products, where the notified body has never seen any problems. And then suddenly, when they uh, go to the notified body with their MDR. Uh, um, conformity assessment application notified body finds all kinds of problems but I think that's that's frankly it's a bit naive because these companies really haven't paid attention what the MDR is about because the the, the wish of the of, of the European Union was to get medical devices to a higher level and that's that that is whenever you speak to competent authorities you will hear them say yes but this was evident. We wanted stricter legislation. We got stricter legislation, and then we have stricter legislation. So, what part about stricter don't you understand? And I think, yeah. Um, for example, um, one of the things that that I think companies have massively misunderstood is uh, the way the MDR. Uh, emphasizes clinical evaluation and support for clinical evaluation as a life cycle process much more, much stricter and much more intensely than, than it ever did under the, um, under the old directives. So that means that a lot of companies go into the MDR lacking data uh, for their clinical data for their devices. So they, uh, they, 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 they have had technologies where they thought, okay, whenever the notified body doesn't raise a non-conformity, everything is good, so to speak. Mm. And it's, it's something I typically see with my US clients um, is because they, they think a lot in terms of uh, complaints. So they think if we don't get complaints uh, and we don't need to make reports to the competent authorities about people getting harmed with our devices, then there is no need to collect data about the devices. I think that's not true in the US anymore, uh -uh. but it's also not true in Europe anymore since the MDR entered into force. And I'm using deliberately uh, the term entered into force because that was already in 2017. Eh? That's, that's five years ago uh, almost. But yeah, the MDR basically means more data required. That's that's a bit of a uh, abbreviation a pun you could uh, could say. But yeah, it 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 necessitates a different uh, approach, a different a, a more of a life cycle approach, rather than a I have a certain stark amount of pre market data 
that I use to pole vault a device onto the market. And then I can sit on my hands forever unless something happens and I need to reactively correct. And I think this is, this is basically what I want to say. The level of proactivity in data, that is really something that, yeah, that just, yeah, I think surprised a lot of companies that did not have proactivity in clinical data in their genes, uh, so to speak. No, and I don't think to to uh, almost to every almost every company that we encounter, there's no there was no plan. And from personal experience, it, it, it is it's very very hard to come up with a clinical evaluation report that meets the standard of of the safety and performance and state of the art that MDR now requires with no clinical data. And, and that's, but that's what, that's what you're seeing right now in companies, but we're also aware of companies that are scrapping their marketing budgets for 2022, because it's all going to regulatory um, because they're, they're in a mad scramble. And, and you mentioned before we started recording, what, what's the number of, of, comp, of certificates that are due to expire at the end of the grace period? Yeah, it depends a bit the, the kind of figures you work with because there is a, a public report of uh, Team NB of end 2020 that still talks about 12,000 certificates expiring between now and uh, uh, end of May 2024. But I've, I've seen internal commission data that says 25,000. So that's more than the double, um, more than double. Yeah, and that basically means that the, that and that the uh, notified body system is now basically like a tiny python trying to eat or to pass a massive goat. Um, and yeah, of course you can, I mean, yeah, you can imagine what that, what that does to the system. Mm. Uh, and then, then apart from this, this massive bulge of um, certificates that needs to be passed in order for the same devices to stay on the market. And of course, it's not one-on-one -on -one, eh, because you might also include more devices in an MDR certificate and so on. Of course, this, this is a bit of a fuzzy number, but it is, yeah, nobody in the know is expecting that the system can, uh, let's say, past this bulge without any problems. And you could already see it huh? because the, the MDCG issued the, uh, the joint implementation plan document in 2020, in which it basically said, well, we have lots of challenges with this grace period. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be very interesting. And they say one thing that I thought myself at the time was very significant. They're basically saying, well, we expect that there will be a certain amount of manufacturers that will not be able to convert their old certificates into new certificates timely, which means that some devices will not be on the market for a specific time period. And while this is the case, we expect that this is a short-term effect that will balance out in the midterm. In other words, we expect collateral damage and it's priced into the system. That's basically what they're saying. Yeah. They're also saying, well, uh, nobody is giving us data. So we have absolutely no idea of the size of the problem, which I think is not entirely true because actually um, 
notified bodies in 2020 had a very good pers uh, perspective on on how much their uh, how much certificates this concern. So I think they just don't want to raise the alarm too much. But as as of the moment that the uh, grace period started to come inside, I've been advising all my clients, even if the notified body gives you a CE certificate that you can still use until 2024, don't rely on it until 2024 because mm. everybody will do this. It'll be like uh, it'll be like a bank run by the uh, by by 2024. And what's the problem with a bank run? If you're too late, there's nothing left for you. So if you can try to go to MDR as soon as you can in the grace period, which of course most people didn't do. So now they're uh, in the boat of uh, companies with very limited options. And especially uh, if it concerns companies that are planning to do exits or planning to be acquired um, in the near future. I mean, I've just started writing a book actually on uh, all the stuff that goes wrong in medical devices M&A just to tell people about this. So if you're buying a company now or selling a company in devices now, the first thing that people like me look for in due diligence is... Um, are you going to make it out of the grace period? And how long is your disruption to market going to be if you can't convert your certificates at timely? And that's going to be priced in to your sales price. And, yep. and what I also see, for example, uh, I see companies being on sale that have really no concept of what a significant change means. For example, there, there are software companies that are still going on a uh, self-certified class one uh, software declaration of conformity, and they are writing uh, information memoranda for, for M&A situations in which they say, we will uh, increase functionality of our software suite uh, dramatically uh, in the next two years as of now. Well, then you know they are lying. <laughs> it's not possible <laughs> because it would be a prima facie significant change. So there's, there's so much going on there that where I think one end of the company doesn't know what the other should be doing. And that, that, that is seriously risky. Yeah, I actually had dinner last night with a founder and uh, CEO of a, of a client that's software and, and we're ongoing argument of class one versus class two A. And I think we finally convinced them last night to move to a class two A because they're, they're at risk. And that's, you know, and there's, there's a, is there, I guess the question is, is there a lack of understanding about how serious the MDR is by manufacturers, especially in the class one level who, yeah, because it is a whole different ball game for, for class one companies now. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. so are, are even at that level of, have, has, is there sort of an underestimation about the work that's involved in, 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 in what needs to be done to maintain your CE? Um, yeah, probably. Um, I found the same with uh, distributors, for example. Uh, so non-manufacturer parties uh, regulated as economic operators under the MDR. Mm -hmm. Also, massive misunderstanding of things. Uh, flat out denial. Uh, wholesalers, for example, saying, no, 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 we are not distributor. We are never an importer. No, it's not possible. Okay, so what are you doing? Are you selling devices? Yes, okay, then 
okay, sucks to be you, but this is squarely in the definition of what constitutes an importer or a distributor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's what that's not what we want. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 yeah, it's it's weird situations and. Uh, yeah, it's 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 basically with the class one, um, the class one companies and also the the independent distributors that I see the weirdest questions about uh, about the the MDR. And what I also see is that that more general the economic operator regime in the MDR, so the supply chain controls, are very very badly understood by companies. I mean, I a lot of discussions with companies that that or with regulatory affairs persons that just keep on keep mixing the term distributor and importer for example so they're talking about their mdr importer calling them a distributor because it's just because the, the contract with that party has distribution contract as a heading but yeah you get into the weirdest uh, confusion people not understanding the most basic underlying concept of placing on the market uh, underlying the MDR. Although I must say that the uh, MDCG uh, also that didn't help, do a lot to help there either because they, uh, they, uh, they also issued guidance in which they uh, uh, weren't very clear about what placing on the market basically means. They recently in the questions and answers for distributors and importers. I think they copied a quote in English from the blue guide wrong about placing on the market. So they basically put in guidance, you need transfer of a property right in order to place on the market, which, yeah, if you look at the blue guides, it's completely wrong. And also it's actually, uh, but then, Actually, that, that's also, I made a point of that in public. Lots of people were starting, uh, hey, Eric, have you finally lost your mind? You're always so clever, but this is literally in the blue guide. And then I had to say, well, have you lost your mind? Can't you, can you read only English? Because if you look in the French and the German version of the blue guide, it doesn't need a property right. So who is wrong? Is the French and the German and the Swedish version of the blue guide wrong? or is the Spanish, English, and Dutch version of the Blue Guide wrong? So if you get in that kind of situations, then the only thing you can do, it's also European court case law, is do a systematic interpretation of the Blue Guide or of the text. And it would of course be weird because the Blue Guide defines placing on the market uh, correctly, first of all, in some other language versions, but also, it would be weird that there is an incongruence in the blue guide between the concept of making available, right? That's mm-hmm. making available anywhere after placing on the market for which the blue guide doesn't, not even in the English version, doesn't require a transfer of property, right? But I think they just made a translation mistake when they mentioned placing on the market because placing on the market is the first making available. So, and there's there's no argumentation why the first making available should be different from the second making available as regard the kinds of rights you need transferred for that. So I've been in, in discussions with the commission in, in the background about this, and they actually admitted that the blue guide is incongruent on this point. 
and that is going to be looked at. But in the meantime, there are a lot of companies that are operating under the assumption that you need a property right transfer, which I think is wrong. It, it brings up a good point about, you know, the blue guide is incongruent and there are things where the MDR is silent. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot that, as you say, goes into, you know, there's misunderstanding, there's interpretation. How do you advise a company, especially a company that's coming into the European market today to, to manage all that, especially smaller companies, which may not have, you know, the deep pockets of, of a, of a, a strategic um, medical device company? What's, what's the best way to navigate MDR? Um, yeah, basically, I would say, do your best to understand the logic behind it. And also try to stay away from the ever returning, yes, but I fit this totally unlikely exception kind of arguments. Uh, so people read the NDR and they're like, oh, there's an exception here. Oh, there are cases in which you don't need clinical data. Yes, I don't need clinical data. And then they come to me and they want this argument that this, 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 totally unlikely exception or ah post-market clinical follow-up that's a really onerous process oh oh by the way there's there's a little clause somewhere that says that even though uh, post-market clinical follow-up is the absolute rule in the uh, in in the mdr there is there is a possibility to justify that you don't need it okay so how can they're always looking for the easy way out it seems whereas I mean, there, it is really possible to do it well, but then you also have to understand the system and the logic well. And I think that this is something where I see, uh, yeah, I see a lot of um, non-EU, but also EU companies actually get it wrong is that they don't take the opportunity to understand how the system works. And you've, we've, we've been mentioning the blue guide a couple of times, this would be a really good place to start because the blue guide is basically, it's a very good piece of guidance that explains how CE marking legislation works, how all the principles in CE marking uh, legislation work, what placing on the market means, what uh, how the economic operators uh, have a role in it, how notified bodies work, how certification works, how conformity assessment works. And then, since we are already actually quite far along with the MDR, because make no mistake about it, the MDR, as we know it, was proposed in 2012. The embryonic draft was on the table then. Of course, it changed considerably during the, uh, during the legislative process, but in underlying logic, it did not change a lot. So that means that, that there is already 10 years of thinking on the table about how the MDR should work. So in the end, there's so much good material, I think, that you can access to understand what it is about. And there are a lot of good experts around as well that you can ask. So yeah, it's a bit like, uh, I don't know, uh, get past your Dunning-Kruger bias and... Uh, 
and and don't assume that wherever you're coming from is the rule for the rest of the world i think that's that's actually uh, that's that's a pretty good way of uh, going to to another big place i mean when i go to when i travel to i don't know china or japan or the us i'm also not assuming that everything is the same that's just stupid i mean people speak different languages uh, a lot is different some things are the same fantastic but then yeah, you have to go look for the for the differences in order to understand what 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 it's about. Yeah, that that's that's an important, very important piece of advice because I think especially U.S. companies are, are so familiar with the FDA and sometimes the trials and tribulations of the FDA that they assume that they attach FDA requirements to coming into the European market. Well, and it's it's it is possible to an extent because the FDA and the European Union work together in the IMDRF. There's a lot of um, informal harmonization going on there. Actually, the MDR also has has a recital in it saying that we we Europeans want the uh, the MDR to incorporate IMDRF uh, thinking wherever possible. And you actually see that happen literally sometimes. If you look at the the, the software uh, qualification and classification guidelines of the MDCG, well, that has whole parts of M literally MDCG text, uh, sorry, um, uh, IMDRF text copied into it. But you cannot assume that it's all FDA. Uh, it's it's not like rest of world is automatically the same. That's why you call it rest of world <laughs> because it's different. Yeah, and it's a disrespectful term to use, by the way. It's like I don't know that rest of world is like a unitary whatever concept or something. Whenever somebody says rest of world, I always think like, okay, this is not a very polite way of addressing <laughs> other people. True. True. And then what what has the what has the impact of Brexit ah. um, and the sort of half in half out um, position that Switzerland has taken had on companies bringing you know medical device companies operating in Europe? Well, Brexit and Switzerland, uh, I think at some point it was pretty complex. Uh, I think in in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty one because then we had basically three big blocks up into the air. We had Brexit coming, we had the Swiss being on the fence, and we also had a problem with the uh, with uh, Turkish uh, participation into the union. Huh? Yep. Because, um, and I think this is also something very badly understood. Whenever I'm talking with Americans, they always talk about EU when they discuss MDR. So next time an American does that, Politely take them outside, open your car door, put their hand in the frame, slam the car door shut and say, no, not European Union. <laughs> Look in the MDR, it says Union without European. And that means if you would have had the if you would have read the blue guide, the MDR applies in the Union, which is every country plus the European Union that has one way or the other adhered to uh, to a uh, to an agreement or other instrument with the European Union that allows them to apply the uh, apply internal market legislation so the European Union 
currently is minus the UK, as you mentioned, Brexit. But we have the European Economic Area, which is the European Union plus Norway, the great country of Liechtenstein, who doesn't know it, and Iceland, also a pretty fantastic place. These three countries are automatically wrapped into European internal market legislation, and they uh, automatically adopt uh, CE marking legislation, for example, including the MDR. Turkey has a, uh, uh, has a similar arrangement in which they also automatically adopt the MDR. Although with Turkey, that was a bit exciting whether they would still make it. And in the end, it turned out to be a data protection uh, issue where the Europeans were actually being difficult and not the Turks, but that was only something we found out afterwards. But the UK and the Swiss decided for their own uh, populist reasons, it's a strong term, but this is totally what happened, to not stay part of the European internal market anymore. The Brits went their own way by means of yeah, leaving the EU. The Swiss were never part of the EU, but they had a whole stack of mutual recognition agreements of which they had negotiated with the EU about a single comprehensive arrangement that would uh, replace the uh, couple of hundred MRAs that they had. So they took five years to negotiate this, 2014 to 2019. Then the agreement was negotiated. Swiss negotiation delegation said, fine, we are good with this. We go back to Switzerland have it, and have it signed. And then the Swiss politicians said, oh, but this is not something we can sell to the voters at this point. No, 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 we are not going to sign this. And it's the same as happened with the Brexit, actually. Yeah? Also, uh, also, the Brits, uh, under the uh, Theresa May uh, leadership, they also had negotiated a, uh, uh, an agreement for leaving. And then when they back, went back to Parliament, Parliament said, no, 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 this is not what we want. So, of course, that made it pretty difficult for the European Union to negotiate with these people. And then, basically, you got a chaotic leaving so with the UK, it ended up in basically leaving on yeah, no conditions whatsoever with respect to CE mark products. And the same with the Swiss. I know actually that with the Swiss, they were negotiating up to the day before the MRA uh, expired. Uh, the, the European Commission was negotiating with uh, the Swiss about um, the MRA. So now the Euro European Union has said, well, they, they already said that before, we are just going to push the Swiss out of the internal market, one expiring mutual recognition agreement at a time, because these mutual recognitions agreements, when the legislation in it changes, the agreement doesn't automatically prolong. So you can choose to prolong it, but if either one of the parties says, no, I don't want to prolong it, then you're out of the internal market. And this is what's happening to the Swiss. They are out of the mutual of the internal market for IVDs this 26 May uh, this year, because then the MRA for um, IVDs expires because the IVDR becomes uh, applicable. So to get back to your question, did it make it com more complicated? Yes, it did, because what happened was, of course, that both the UK and Switzerland saw them 
themselves faced with the question, the, the problem that they were out of the internal market for devices, but they still needed devices. So they couldn't suddenly say, okay, we, uh, we are going to admit FDA approved devices, for example, they could have done that, but they didn't. So what happened is that the UK said, okay, you know what, we are just going to make a mirror system of the CE marking system, the UK CA system, which we are going to slowly phase in, but we are going to have a, a, a um, transitional period for CE mark devices. They can still be placed on the market until 30 June 2023, subject to certain formalities. Except what they always forget to mention is that there's also the problem of the Brexit as such that still keeps Northern Ireland as part of the internal market where the CE mark will still continue to apply and where the MDR does apply at this moment. So it makes it more complicated. Swiss did exactly the same. They amended their legislation, basically copied the MDR into it. They make a lot of direct references even to the MDR. So basically, again, um, you do not need to redo your homework substantively on the device in order to place it on the market in Switzerland, but you do need to complete additional formalities, like, for example, having a Swiss representative uh, notify your product in Switzerland and so on. So that has basically yeah, led to a completely counterproductive uh, situation, which we try to remedy in the EU by having this internal market. So we're going back to a smaller internal market uh, this way. Yeah, but there is more, there's more cost involved for these manufacturers. Definitely. And there's, and there's more, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's triple the paperwork and, and it, it does seem at times it does seem a little bit convoluted that we're in this position now that yeah, you have don't, basically don't three different Swiss, economic operators in the region. Huh? Blame the Swiss and blame the Brits. It's not the Europeans' fault. No, right. Um, they weren't so, kicked out. They left. Yep, and and it, it does, but it does definitely add a add a layer of complexity. That on top of MDR, it 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 probably is not something companies were uh, were thinking about. Um, so, sort of nearing the end of, of end of our time, Eric. And so I'm going to ask you to put on your um, look into your crystal ball and, and, and think about 2020. Let's, let's jump ahead four years. Ah, okay. Magic eight ball, even better. Um, eight ball right here. <laughs> so let's, let's ask the magic eight ball. What, what does the situation look like four years from now? It says focus and ask again. The stars say no. Okay, well, the oh, magic eight ball okay. is not helpful here. What <laughs> is the situation like in four years? Four years, that's a long time in MDR years at the moment because MDR developments uh, follow very uh, each other very quickly. And also, whatever happens to the MDR is also influenced by what happens to the IVDR and vice versa. So, if I put on uh, if I put on my uh, my uh, my um, prediction uh, hat and uh, rub my crystal ball, then I would say it's really going to be determinative how much of an organized situation we will have towards the end of the grace period. You can already see that more and more people that 
also like me have crystal ball and you don't have to be very, very uh, expert in having a crystal ball to see that within a year or two, there will be massive turmoil in the market if things stay the way they do. So that means that there are all groups in um, uh, stakeholders that are saying, oh, you just have to prolong the grace period. Well, that's of course easy, but this is not the kind of solution anybody is looking for because the MDR has been in the process of being phased in since 2017. This is a process that you cannot have go on forever. Of course, there's a lot you can think about it. I mean, personally, I think it was just a big mistake to have legislation enter into force without having the necessary regulatory infrastructure in place, which I think was a bit uh, basically, yeah, that, that, that got us where we are at the moment. I mean, it's kind of stupid to, to change the wheels on your car while driving, because that's basically what they tried to do with the MDR. They had this bare bones framework piece of legislation that then needed to get flesh on the bones for which nobody basically had time. Same thing with the IVDR, even worse. Within four years, we're in a situation where either there was big chaos at the end of the uh, MDR grace period and mounting chaos in the uh, grace periods that have now been introduced with the IVDR, because the IVDR last month, we're still February at the moment, last day, in January, we had a major, major amendment to the IVDR, also introducing a much more complex system of grace periods than we had with the IVDR with the MDR ever. So also there, I think, yeah, I mean, this is also a potential recipe for um, for a lot of misunderstanding and complication. So then, I think several things can happen. Either it becomes a mess, and then the question is, if there is a mess, well, what do you do? Finger pointing, of course. So what are the fingers going to be pointed at? Um, there are some developments that actually suggest, well, maybe we are going to do another NDR and IVDR revision. Maybe we actually decide that having outsourcing conformity assessment of medical products to the market, uh, to the notified bodies, wasn't such a good idea in the first place. So maybe we are going to put it into an agency and maybe we are going to set up a separate European medical devices agency, or maybe we are adding another big branch to the European medicines agency. That's, that's possible. I mean, that's actually one of the policy options that was explored when the NDR was being drafted at the time of which- And discarded. And discarded, but there were also a pretty large part of stakeholders that were actually in favor of it. It was mainly industry that was not in favor, but a lot of the public institutions thought it was a pretty good idea actually uh, at the time. So maybe this idea gets revisited. I'm not saying that this would be a silver bullet because again, and I think this is something that, that the European Union and also the national competent authorities have been universally really bad at is understanding that if you want an adult regulatory super market surveillance system for medical devices that you have to invest in it properly. 
And we had the problem that CE marking and the market surveillance that applied to CE marking was a really efficient and cheap system that required very little in terms of resources from the member states. So member states and also the commission are basically, yeah, they're, they're basically used to the fact that, yeah, the system runs itself, sort of. But the problem is that if you have a system running itself in a very efficient way, it's not able to eat a goat, as I was just explaining. It can't pass a goat uh, uh, as it's currently being requested to do. So the question is, that would be my argument, do you need to blame the system for designing a bad transition, right? I mean, you could also say, look, because one of the whole things that, that, that actually also led to this problem that I've been explaining from the start to, to uh, non-EU companies is the MDR and the IVR do not grandfather. If they would have grandfathered, then they would have, the, the bulge would have been a lot thinner. Of course, you can have a, a, quite a discussion about whether it was a good idea to grandfather devices or not, but this, the approach taken was not to grandfather them. But if that's your choice, then you also need to provide for a system that can pass a goat, <laughs> basically, which they never did. So that's, that's, that's a problem there. So I have absolutely no idea. Maybe they go to a hybrid system where they are going to say, uh, look, we are already have expert committees for high-risk products, both under the IVR and the MDR. We have reference laboratories in the mix. Why don't we put the high-risk innovative products with a, a government, uh, with a European agency, and we are going to leave the low-risk, lower-risk products to uh, notified body approval? It's also an option. Or maybe the system will stay as it is because it's more adaptive and flexible and accommodating than anybody is uh, is thinking at the moment. So yeah, it's hard to say. There's, there's all kinds of uh, possibilities, unfortunately. And I'm not yet sure where which, which is going to materialize, but all of them are possible, I think. Did the, did the commission underestimate the willingness of, of the notified bodies to make the transition? and to come along because we've gone from what 50 plus down on the medical device side down to something in the 30 range well there's not even 30 that are that have made the transition yet and on ibdr you're down to six yeah well I, I, I have some notified bodies as clients as well so i'm going to give it up for the notified bodies because the notified bodies are often uh, branded as the bad guys, but don't forget that notified bodies are also stakeholders that basically saw this whole thing happen to them. And if you look at this from the perspective of notified bodies, it's not a pretty picture either, eh? because notified bodies had to all, uh, if they wanted to stay in notified bodies, so basically if they hadn't wanted to stay in business, they needed to get a new accreditation under the MDR, in a process that started, I think, way too late, half a year after date of entry into force, 26 November 2017, the, um, the window where you could submit your application opened. Then they were met with a procedure that was ridiculously long. Mm -hmm. um, actually, um, if you look at the 
approval process, and especially what I think did a lot of notified bodies uh, not a favor is that the time between, and you can all reverse engineer that from the, uh, from the, the timelines uh, published by the European Commission. If you look at the timelines between the submission of the notified body of their CAPA plan after the first audit and then approval of the CAPA plan, sometimes there was more than a year in between. And you need to realize that being a notified body, having applied for uh, accreditation under the, uh, under the MDR meant that at the moment of accreditation, you needed to meet all the requirements. And then you had to be basically meeting these requirements. So full personnel, full quality system, everybody sitting on their hands doing nothing until finally your notification drops. And then you can start. And in the meantime, you can do nothing. Can't even tell your clients, maybe prepare for this, maybe prepare for that, because that's consultation. You're not allowed to do that. Not anymore. <laughs> so that's 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 basically, yeah, that, that makes it extremely unattractive and expensive for notified bodies, which also means that, especially for the smaller ones, I mean, uh, they, they probably have thought, okay, this is just not worth it, because remember, it's market, right? So, and oh. if it's market, then these companies are going, these, these companies are going to make a cost-benefit analysis, and if the, the costs outweigh the benefits, then yeah, not going to do it. Yeah, and, and I do think you make a very good point about the notified bodies and that they've, in some ways, they've been really vilified in this whole process. Yeah. And also, just 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 add one thing, um, and and also, um, I've I've joked a couple of times that the system had to pass a goat, which is also why notified bodies, in order not to be vilified too much, needed to recruit massive amounts of people in order to pass this goat. They actually they needed they needed more people than there were available in the market. So they've been they've been just educating people and training people like crazy. I mean, I know from notified bodies that have basically doubled in size in order to be able to 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 actually service their customers. I mean, do you know a company that provides services to you that says we will double in size to meet the market's requirements? In, in just a year or two, I don't really see that happening. We had yeah. to do it. <laughs> you would do it, yeah, but... We did it. <laughs> oh, you did it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you were lucky, actually, that you could actually find enough people in the market because, I mean, you're probably not as big as a BSI or a two-suit that literally yeah. needs hundreds of people. And they need them at a uh, objectively defined quality system standard that they need to would be able to prove that they've trained them by that's 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 a lot of work well and i and i do think that that's one of the you know the the cost of mdr but also the the um on the side of the consultants and the the cro's and and everybody who's involved in helping companies maintain their ce mark it's it's also been a mad scramble Yes. to maintain the st the staffing and meet demands. And in Europe, there's, you know, good clinical people are in short supply. Good regulatory people are in short supply because of it. Good lawyers too. I mean, I wish I could clone mine. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a very, uh, it, it, it is a very interesting um, 
time that, that we're working in, in the medical device industry. And if, if you had a uh, one, one final piece of advice that you would give to, to people listening to the podcast about, about MDR and, and succeeding in Europe, what would it be? Yeah, then I would quote Immanuel Kant, the, uh, the Prussian philosopher to them, uh, dare to be wise. I see Sapere um, Aude, he say he wrote in Latin. So really, uh, yeah, make try make make a good faith effort to understand what it is about, and then of course, yeah, yeah. I would probably say two things. I would also add a South Park quote, and that is, "What would Brian Boitano do?" And then of course, you say, "Skate." That's what he would also do. But uh, the song is, he'd make a plan and he'd follow through. Oh. oh, and this is this is something you 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 yeah you see so many companies just not have a plan, and or they have a plan but they treat the plan as a hobby for the regulatory department to do on top of all the other things. So I've I've often had discussions with actually CEOs of companies and said, look, if you're going to approach it this way, it will not fly, because. Um, because you're setting these poor people up for failure, your regulatory uh, department, because you're, you're, this is a humongous project and you're telling them to do this as a sort of hobby project. So, and then they look at you like, well, what's the problem? And then I have to say, well, it's only core business, right? So, I mean, you are concerned with the next quarterly earnings, but this is about the next couple of years. So please be a bit more, mindful about the interests of your company uh, it's yeah i think it's also sometimes management that just doesn't understand how big this is no that's uh, definitely true eric thank you so much for joining us today on on business by innovation thank you for listening to today's edition of of the med device business by innovation podcast you can follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram, as well as on our website at www.meddevice-consulting.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>